Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the new RSS feed. Thank you guys for tuning in to Think Big Bodybuilding. Uh, we were formerly at Advices Radio. I'm sure most all of you know that. You guys can do us a solid. It'll take you like one minute, maybe two, to write us a good written review at iTunes and leave us five stars. That will help other people find our programming. Thank you guys so much for that. Let's get to the show. If you haven't been to failure at 20 reps, hmm. six and eight rep sets of heavy squats, yeah, it's hard. But I'm telling you, I'll take that shit all day to failure versus 18 to 20 reps. That is fucking death. That is horrible. It, you feel like you're going to pass out. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Think Big Bodybuilding Media. I'm Scott McNally. I'm here with coaches Skip Hill in the middle. We've got Andrew Berry back with us. Uh, today, we got a bunch of listener questions. We're going to do like a, a Sunday Easter Sunday training extravaganza. Uh, we have a topic of favorite squat technique and why. We're going to dig deep. We're going to talk a lot about squats. Plus, we have a bunch of listener questions. A lot of this stuff is going to be training focused. I do want to say thank you to our great sponsor, truenutrition.com. Check out their, their awesome supplements. Um, I use a lot of their stuff. If you have any questions about them, ask me. Our code is ADVICES, A-D-V-I-C-E-S. We might be getting a new code. I don't know. We'll have to talk to Dante about that. And uh, that's all I got to say until we actually get around to the topic. Oh, in one more note, we've got timestamps. So if you guys want to skip around, feel free. Uh, these guys have both been in the bodybuilding world for a long time, as have I. So I'm excited to, to get into this topic. Um, before I do happy Easter gentlemen and, uh, Andrew, welcome back to the show, man. Good to have you. Well, thanks for having me back on guys. It's uh, great to chat with you always skip. I know you have, uh, you've got fancy dinner plans tonight, so we got to knock this thing out so you can put on your, your suit or whatever you, you put on for the fancy restaurants. It's Ruth's Chris. I oh. asked my wife if I could even go in shorts. Yeah. She's like, yeah, you probably could. <laughs> These days, dress code isn't what it used to be, yeah. especially in South Florida. But anyway, I am looking forward to dinner because we don't usually go to dinner. So, <laughs> or go to, you know, a nice sit down. It's usually a burger joint or something like that or a bar because they have to have alcoholic beverages for my wife, things like that. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, let's get this thing rolling. Uh, you know, squat technique. You, you always hear that uh, in order to have a great physique, you have to have great legs. And you, you, you've always heard it said that in order to have great legs, you have to squat. Do you have to squat or not? That's a conversation we've had on another episode. But actually getting into the movement, um, you know, out the gate, I want to know what your favorite squat technique is now. We're going to talk about you know what you grew up on. We're going to talk about... Uh, possibly the benefits of different squat techniques, uh, and and uh, we're going to come full circle with this thing. So I guess Skip, you're uh, you're our leader. You've been doing this the, lo- the longest, I suppose. You've been I know coaching now for over two decades. Yeah, uh, you've worked with guys not only in bodybuilding in the NPC and IFBB, but also uh, sports that would require uh, leg strength for other purposes, like the NFL. So. Uh, take it away, man. What are what are you personally into now for a squat technique? Personally, me, pendulum comes first. And that is, I'd say a close second would be a good hack squat. Um, but that's me. 
And then my preference right now is to dig into more, you know, dig in more to my quads and less into my glutes and hips and that sort of thing. Um, and that's not to, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, and this is going to be a really good topic, by the way, but I'm not a huge fan of the, the cliche idea of, you know, squats are king. You must squat to have big legs, things like that. That is not to say that squatting is not great. It's not to say that squatting does not build big legs, uh, but I think that it's sometimes an individual thing where some people respond very, very well to back squats, um, barbell squats, whatever the hell you want to call them. Um, and I only say that so that I say that to differentiate between regular squatting and Smith squatting. Um, I have not been able to free squat, unfortunately, um, for quite a while. It just since my back problems, uh, chronic lower back problems, I just it's just always there. It's always an issue. So for me to squat in the Smith machine, I have to be fair and say they are Smith squats. They are not, I'm not technically squatting. I'm squatting in the sense that I'm bending at my hips and my knees, but I consider squatting, you know, barbell or free squat. So I want more, um, more of my focus and my own training to be more on my quads. I call it quad dominant type training. And when I can, I, you know, I, I, stay away from that. If I need something with my glutes or if I want to dig in a little bit and balance out my quads with my hamstring work uh, and glute work, then I'll do leg presses, things like that. I might even do lunges. I started doing lunges too. I picked up on those after the hip um, injury, Uh, but we're not, the topic is not lunges. So I'm bringing myself back (laughs) to the topic, but that that's where I am. I do. I will say one more thing. I do think that, um, if you overuse the free the free squat, I do think that it, it leads eventually down the road, especially for those people who are genetically predisposed to getting huge. Um, I don't want to say they find it easier. Everybody works hard to get huge. But uh, for those who are genetically predisposed to getting huge, I, I think that if you squat long enough and heavy enough, that it's really hard to not have wider glutes and wider hips uh, right along with bigger legs. And then you end up with quads that are, I call them adductor heavy. Um, they just, you know, you take Sean Ray's quads and you put them up against, um, gosh, that's a lot of, give me somebody. Yeah. A lot of it. it, It's just so many that it's hard to tell, but you know, and I think that's part of the reason I think that there's been a shift, um, you know, over the years to, um, that I don't want to say the squats are even more important because they were more important then too, but, uh, yeah, there's just a different look. There's a different look and they, I think a lot of bodybuilders become adductor heavy and I'll leave it at that. Andrew, I've been uh, I've been waiting for this. It, you know what, too? I got to tell you, you know, by the way, you know, we always get questions, too, like, um, you know, how do I bring out my outer sweep? How do I make my legs look like that guy? So, you know, and some of that stuff is genetic. Obviously, uh, you can work to grow bigger legs no matter who you are. But I have to say, uh, I think one of the first things I noticed, Andrew, when I met you and I saw your pictures is your legs. You have a really cool. It's not only do you have like awesome conditioning to them, which I think makes me, I love like really good condition, but you've got really cool shape to your legs too. Yeah. It's very good shape. I agree. Yeah, they're one of my favorite features on you. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Uh, well, first I really appreciate that. That's really nice. Um, I wouldn't say I've done anything that much different than both you guys in terms of over the years, but I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to like well-developed legs. Though, is like you got to get them peeled. Uh, you got to show that detail. You got to actually have the cuts to show the sweep, if you know what I mean, um, yeah. to differentiate the different heads of the tissue so they actually do stand out. Um, 
But, you know, getting back to what Skip was saying about, you know, squatting or not squatting, I think even looking at it, not just from a, from a leg training sense, but from a hard work sense, like there's a difference when you do a squat workout than there is from doing, say, leg extensions, leg curls, mm. um, adductor, adductor machine. Like, and I think there's a very different look to the leg if you've done some level of squatting over the course of your career. Not to say you have to squat 20 years into it because we all know we're at that age where your back hurts, you can't get your arms up to the bar properly anymore. Um, so I just think that, you know, in terms of like learning how to train intensely, you got to go through some hard, uh, squat sessions or some hard leg sessions, including squats. You know, you got to hit some hard sets of eight and then you got to do those widowmaker sets of 20 that they mm -hmm. work your whole body. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. you gain that mental toughness where the whole rest of the week is easy after that leg workout. Like how many times have you guys, let's say your leg days on a Sunday, you go to bed Saturday night and you're sitting there and you're like, Okay. Like you, you start getting focused a couple hours before you go to bed. <laughs> right, like, right. You know what? I, like there's that anxious feeling and also that like, um, I call it like anxiety mixed with like, um, like excitement because you're like, I know what I did last week and I've got to prove to myself that mm. I can beat last week's numbers or intensity in some way or shape, shape or form. And so you're just thinking about it. You fall asleep thinking about it. You wake up, you eat your first meal, you're preparing, you eat your pre-workout meal or whatever, whatever your schedule is. The whole day you're thinking about it. Yeah. So I do think um, in terms of intensity and mindset, uh, if you're a squatter, you, you know what that's all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You bring up a good point, too, about the rep ranges. Um, one thing I can look back on, uh, and, and I'm going to guess it was right around 05, 06, was I ended up changing things over to doing sets of uh, for legs to failure in the 18 to 20 rep range. And I'm telling you, if you know, everybody says, oh, yeah, 20 reps are hard. And, and I'm not saying nobody trains to failure and I'm the balls out guy. What I'm saying is if you haven't been to failure at 20 reps, hmm. six and eight rep sets of heavy squats, yeah, it's hard. But I'm telling you, I'll take that shit all day to failure versus 18 to 20 reps. That is fucking death. That is horrible. Wow. It, you feel like you're going to pass out. It's yeah. all you can do to keep your base solid, your base, you know, I call the, the hips your base or your foundation. It's a bitch. You're shaking. You want to psychologically shorten the reps. You yeah. want to be a little quicker and to force yourself and stay disciplined to keep that same rep tempo and that higher rep range. If anybody is struggling with their legs growing and they're doing heavy sets and they're going to failure and they can't figure it out, just shock the shit out of them and go to failure at 18 to 20 reps because I'm telling you, your legs will fucking just go crazy. They'll be sore as shit. You'll probably have to cut your volume in half because it's so brutal. Um, but I just wanted to throw that out before I forgot about it because that rep range, um, that that's killer. That is fucking brutal. Yeah. So, Andrew. Well, to add to that, too, also, well, yeah. I was going to say to add to that, also consider the fear factor. Like, yeah. like, what other exercises do you have something that could really potentially hurt you? So, you're mm -hmm. getting amped up to do that heavy set, whether it's six to eight or whether it's that 20 rep set. I don't care what weight it is, you know, like, because if you're a 400 or 500 pound squatter, you're going to be able to do 315 to 365 or more for 20 reps. And that could really hurt you if you mess it up. Right. So there's yeah, that fear oh, yeah. factor going on at the same time. You know, I um, mm -hmm. just wanted to bring that up. Did Andrew tell us his uh, his favorite technique currently? Because I don't think I, I heard it. Maybe oh, I didn't. I, okay, I thought like I was going to feel like a bad. Uh, yeah. we're bad hosts. No, here, I went Skip. off. On <laughs> listening or some there, shit. Like, you know, like no. Um, so currently, right now, I'm actually really, really enjoying the belt squat. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, I would say like right now, I like the hack squat. I like the belt squat. 
Um, and then I, I think I sent you a video of the, the I call them the Dante squats, um, which is kind of a Hatfield squat where you're pushing the bar up against the rack. Yeah. Um, I'll add that, that one, in. Uh, post, I learned, I'll add that in post production. Yeah, I learned that from watching um, Dante teach it to Dusty Hanshaw, hmm. and I'd always done. You know, over the last couple of years, I'd been leaning more towards Hatfield squats or some type of a safety bar squat versus just a straight, you know, barbell back squat. Because I don't know about you guys, but like for me, the difficult, the hardest part is getting my arms back to hold the bar properly. And it's different than when I was, say, 20, 25, because my arms are just a little different, which makes me shift my hips a little different, which puts my back in a much more compromised position. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know back injury, once you have one of them, it just, it, it's a history of them going on, you know, in your future. So, um, so I haven't put a bar on my back, even in a Smith machine since I want to say 2017, maybe 2018. No kidding. Um, it's been either, yeah, it's been that long. It's, it's either been, um, a hack squat, a belt squat, a safety bar squat done Hatfield style, or I bought the, um, the spider bar from elite FTS. I don't yes. know if you guys have used that one yet. I haven't used it's a great it. bar. Yeah, you you had yep. shown it to me, man, and I I was on the fence. I got the transformer bar, which I think showed, that's a better move because you could do a, a bunch more things with it. Yeah, it showed up right before I had gotten sick, so I'm just now yeah. messing with it. I tried, uh, it, and I posted it too. Uh, terrible technique on the uh, a Hatfield squat, basically. I just was trying to feel it out, and then of course I went over. I found a, a video. A guy named Murph on Elite FTS mm-hmm. had uh, yeah. a coaching log, uh, and he had uh, posted a video uh, of how to do it properly. So I'm going to go back now and try that again. It's a technique I've never used before. Uh, it's weird, guys, because when I first thought of this idea, I didn't even think of hack squats. Like I was just thinking of, I didn't even think of machines, really. I just thought of like the basic movements. You've got your front squat. You've got your traditional back squat. What is there? There's like sissy squats, you know, and then I thought, well, I'll add in some stuff. Here's what our, our group had said. I got a screen. I wondered what they had said, what the poll kind of. Yeah. So the uh, final, what the final thing was. Nags actually added in hack squat. And here's what we came up with. We had, and I just posted this a little bit ago, 37 people said hack squat. Uh, good old back squats, 30 people, uh, belt squat, 10 front squats, five Smith machine, three V squat or similar three. Uh, I added other two people voted for that. Then we had one for sissy squat plus leg extension, super set. And then somebody else added in leg press. So that's where we, I, I'm surprised. You know, might be, you know, what might be interesting is to do what is your most your most you know frequent go-to squat hmm. and then break it down by age too. I think that would be kind of interesting <laughs> yeah. to look at. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think like that would say quite a bit. Back squat. <laughs> yeah. I think the back, it would go yeah. back squat and then Smith squat. And then as we go up in age, it would elevate more towards hack squat and belt squat. You know what I mean? Belt squat. Yeah. And I would belt squat right now if I had one at the gym that I train train in i i call them pit sharks but that's just because that i don't know that name apparently the first one i used was a pit shark and that stuck in my head but i don't have access to one right now i think when i switch over i'm going to start training uh and i don't want to sidetrack the conversation but scott will get a yeah, laugh out of this i'm gonna start training uh at redcon 
in about three, probably about three weeks when my knee is good to go again and I can start training legs. I have to get back into the energy of people being around me. It's just becoming old, being the only person in the gym with my wife, turning the lights on and then turning the lights off when I leave. So they have one and I'm excited to get to that leg equipment, but I, I very much like the belt squat or the pit shark. I think it's great, especially for someone who does have chronic, um, you know, back issues. It of course takes, doesn't want to, I don't want to say it takes a posterior chain out of the movement because it doesn't do that, but it, the load on the posterior chain is significantly less mm. than a than a regular squat, which is again beneficial for you know someone who has any type of history of lower back work. And I'm going to clear my throat after I mute the thing here. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I, I almost think that the belt squat, in a way, causes a little bit of traction in a sense that it pulls your spine apart from where it's pulling mm. from in the hips. Versus the bar being lowered on your on your back, compressing down on your spine. So I think I mean, there's I two ways to do it. it. I would wonder how you, you do it friend. because there. I I think there's two ways to do it. You can literally squat straight, and, and people have to be careful when they they use the belt squat because it depends on how you set up over the connection or over the chain and what lever position you use. It, you should really be squatting straight up and down. I think. At the same time, if you set up right and you're squatting at kind of an angle, and it's hard to show, but if you you're you're kind of leaned over a little bit and you're squatting, your almost pushing, back. exactly. There you go. Though I see that as two two different ways or two variations of doing that same that same movement. And I think some people may not know when they you know lock in because obviously to keep. Let me see if I can explain this right. A typical pit shark has three connections on the lever. The furthest one out is going to be the one that's going to be basically from a lever standpoint, it's going to make the load lighter. It isn't going to make it much lighter, but it's going to make it lighter. So people tend to think, oh, I don't want to be, you know, especially if you're hardcore, oh, I got to get up here to the front. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because you will load less plates. But it's also going to pull you into the machine. It's going to pull you forward a little bit more than if the connection is directly underneath you, pulling you straight down like gravity would pull you straight down in a squat. So it just depends, I think, how you set it up. And I think people need to be aware, if they're not, of how they hook it up. And the best way to do that is take a video of yourself from the side and check not only your your posture and the range of motion or the travel of the hips, but see how the connection to the machine and what what lever position you're on, whether that is directly underneath you going straight up and down, or if there's an angle of pull that is backwards, not sure. backwards, but to the back. Well, uh, yeah. there a little while ago, there was a study and they took three different belt squats uh, right after it came out. Uh, Scott Stevenson and I did a podcast where he explained and broke down this study, but the study was talking about how much quad activation you get out of these three different brands. One brand was the Pit Shark. Another brand was, I believe, the Rogue Rhino. I honestly, I can't remember the third one, but each one of them was different. So just like, just like any any machine, you'd have to have, you have to feel each one out, you know. Because I think like the Pit Sharks on a lever, that's going to do one thing versus the kind where there's just that hole in the floor with the cable coming up. Each machine, I think, is going to take different adjusting, and you really do have to feel it out. What I think. You can do the same thing with squats. Like I can do a squat that's all hip. You know, I can do a squat that's all glute and ham. But my ability to your 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 range of being able to change it is much more limited. Because at the end of the day, right. you've got that barbell on your back. Versus when you're at the hip, 
you can stand in all sorts of funky positions, kind of like with a Smith. You can put your feet way out in front of you, do things you'd never do with a, you know, a traditional barbell. So I do think you know, a good point I think you bring up is you really, if you're going to use a belt squat, you really need to think about what you're going to be activating and make sure you get that stance locked in first is what mm-hmm. it sounds like you're saying. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Hack squat. I didn't even think of adding hack squat. For some reason, I thought a hack squat being more like a, you know, a machine, like a leg press. But do you guys want to put it on the list? Because it's 37 people did, like more than 50%. Yeah, I mean, I consider it one of first. the better leg movements. I, I've done them for years. I think that I don't want to say they're king for me, but I have probably hack squatted. I may have hack squatted throughout my time of training more than I have any other squat type movement. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I think that's a pretty safe statement. Um, the only thing that you have to be careful with, I think these days, and I think it's these days versus the older machines. Um, and maybe you guys have seen this as well. It depends on whether you can adjust the platform or if the platform is what I call too open. There are some hack squats where the angle of the back pad versus the angle of the platform is too open. It's open further than 90 degrees. And I think that's over time, I think it's kind of dangerous. Yes, it does place more, you know, more potential, you know, stress on your quads, but, and you'll notice if you have that angle, because you, you think to yourself, gosh, I have to be so much further up on the platform than I normally am on any other you know, hack squat, but there can be over time a lot more stress put on, you know, your patellar tendons and and the knee itself than if it's a 90 degree uh, angle. And, you know, we could throw in other things like the true squat and everything else, but I don't want to get sidetracked. There's a lot of options for legs. Do you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, about the angle with that? Maybe I'm not explaining it very well. But it's that angle. Feet are sliding forward. Exactly. Like feet are sliding exactly. forward because it's not a hard 45 mm. trying to show. Yep. It's like, and it's funny on. because of that angle like that. that made exactly that made me take my shoe, change the type of shoes that I wear hmm. when I train legs, because I ended up wearing, I would, I would get my leg shoes a half size smaller so that they were tight so that my feet would never slide in the shoe because I couldn't stand how my feet would push up against the front of the shoe because it would be uncomfortable. So I just wore them a half size, sometimes a a size, a full size, too small. And they hurt like hell to walk around in, but they were great to train legs because my foot would not move. You know, when your foot gets warm, the the material expands. It's like a hat. If you wear a hat, you can put it on at first. It's tight as shit. And you're like, Oh my God, how did I get this thing on? But then you warm up and you sweat and it naturally kind of, you know, it expands. It gets maybe a little moist and it, or sweaty is a better word, and it expands a little bit. Same with your shoes. So if you do have any type of movement like that, make sure your shoes are tight as shit. You don't want to be sliding around in your fucking shoes, man, doing hack squats. Have, have you guys been to um, MI40 recently? I no, I should. Oh, it's down should. here. It's on, the, it's on the Gulf side, right? Isn't he in it's Tampa? It's in Tampa, yeah. It's in, yeah. It's in Tampa. So yeah. anyway, uh, last, last time I was there, they had um, – it was a Watson hydraulic hack squat. Okay. Ooh. So huh. you could set it up so that, you know, the machine would start like this and then mid set, literally a buddy could be cranking on the hydraulics and the back would go down like that. So, so it'd make it a little oh, bit easier. Shit. So like, okay. yeah. So it was actually a really cool machine. You could adjust the angle huh. exactly how you wanted it based off what you're trying to do that day. Um, and nice. I'll tell you what, even just one plate, like one plate when you're, when you're straight up, 
feels like 225. So yeah. it, it's kind of a killer of a machine as you start adding plates. Obviously, it gets easier as you put the uh, hydraulically lower the, the back angle a little bit. Um, but it's definitely a really cool piece. I'd never seen that before. Um, it was made by Watson. Nice. Well, yeah, okay. I know they have Watson yeah. dumbbells down there too, I've heard. Uh, you know, the ones with the spinning handles. Dude, they're like that yeah. thick. They're weird, man. They're, they're like weird. Coke, they're like they're like Coke cans. Like you're like I don't know how to get it up here. Like it feels weird, you know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and they they're they're that they're that thick and they spin. That'd be a bitch to press with, wouldn't it? It's it's weird the first time you use them. Like yeah, you have to go like 20, 30 pounds lighter just to like get adjusted to them. But yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, hmm. Talking about hack squats, I'll say that. For me, I, I think for a lot of people, that is one of the machines that is so unique that as in each brand can be, and you guys have already kind of talked about that a little bit, each brand can be so different. There's some hack squats, like I may want a hack squat really bad, but if I'm in a gym that I don't like their hack squat, I'm not even going to touch it, you know? Mm -hmm. But then you get the hack squats that are nice. Um, I really like mine. It's a body master hack squat. And the angle body master is great. Yeah. Yeah. I can actually, if, if I get up here, I'll pop it. Like my door is closed, but it's literally, I sit here and podcast and look at it. Uh, I love that thing. The only thing is it's really, really heavy. So it, you know, there's like the Cybex hack squat. I can get a lot more plates on it. You know, part of that is like, it's, it's nice on the ego, I guess, for videos to have more plates on it, but you also kind of have like a little bit more room to get that specific weight you want before you have to start breaking out the fives and the tens. You know what I mean? Now all together, what is, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, we should probably bring this up because I know some people watching are going to be like, why didn't you guys talk about this? How about the trend right now to not just this exercise, but every exercise reverse band everything. <laughs> Have you seen? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, my phone. Fall, I, I can't even prop my phone up anymore because it falls. Sorry. I, I think the, the, the ego thing is going a little far because you got guys yeah. that you're like, look, I've seen you on a hack squat and you hit four plates for like a hard set of eight, yeah. and then you put the bands on, and you got like seven plates on there. It's like, yeah. who you think you're fooling, dude? Okay. Yeah. Um, exactly. And I'm not saying there's not a place for it. You know, if your knees are injured or something like that, or and, and I do like the feel of the accommodating resistance as yes. you're going from you know a harder uh, an easier to a harder. But then I, I I tell people to this: Why don't you band from the bottom then, if you still want that accommodating mm. resistance feel? Yeah. Right. You know I mean? Exactly. And they're like, oh yeah. no no no, I couldn't do that. Then I wouldn't be able to put six or eight plates on. There. <laughs> yeah yeah. You know? yeah. Right right. Yeah, my hack oh, squat. Yeah. I'm not a resistance band guy. I can get like yeah. three. I'm not plates. a resistance band guy. Three plates, I think, you are can? the most. Yeah, yeah, on my hack squat. Okay, but it depends on the. Yeah, I was gonna say it depends on the hack squat because I was just gonna say all together, all three of us together. I know we're gonna say the same shit. What is the easiest, lightest hack squat that you can load a ton of plates on? I carry oh, it, right? Uh, I carry it. Good- which one? Oh, I carry it. Yes, yes. Yeah. I carry. Yeah, because the angle is further yeah. back and it's smooth as shit. Don't get me wrong, I love that. But it's funny because at the same time you can load it up. Typically, if it, if the piece is old enough, it has been re-welded because that platform mm. flexes over time, and you can see it oh, move. Yes, and right. I see Dusty doing hacks on. I'm like, bro, it's gonna snap <laughs> on you, man. <laughs> it's gonna fucking break. Oh shit! But yeah, I think that the, in yeah, in my experience, I think that's the the easiest one to load up because the angle is lower. Back in the '80s, we had. We had hack squats. I remember Gold's Gym in East Lansing, which isn't there anymore. And I would doubt if we had 10,000 
uh, listeners that even one person would go, oh, I've been there. But it was a, almost a straight up and down hack squat, but you could adjust the platform. So anytime oh, yeah, you that. get a hack squat where you can adjust the platform, much like Arsenal makes a pendulum where you can adjust the platform, that shit is gold. That's good because then if your knees aren't bothering you, you might want to open it up a little bit more. If they are bothering you, you want more hip involvement, you can, you know, close it up a little bit. But yeah, that was a really nice setup and shit, those pieces are, they're gone. <laughs> they're, they're not to be had anymore. No. So I, man, I'm on the fence because I didn't think hack squat was on the plate for us. Um, I was going to say just back squats. That was going to be my, my pick was just traditional barbell back squat but now that i got this transformer bar i think that i'm i think i'm in evolving i think it's gonna do a lot for me although like i said man you know i i'm hardly lifting anything right now i've gotten through one leg workout so in a way this is kind of motivation for me too to keep so i've done three sets so far uh back into training legs that's uh that's been the the that's been it but it feels good scott like, that's better than me yeah. You have three sets more <laughs> than I have in the last six, eight weeks. So good for you. I'm jealous, actually. It felt good. Five minute break nope. between each nope. set to catch my breath. What's that, Andrew? <laughs> I was going to say, um, did you find with the transformer bar and bars like the spider bar that it kind of pulls you forward a little bit more at the top? Have you mm-hmm. have you noticed that at all? Mm-hmm. You know what, man? I'll be looking for that. I have. I, well, it, you start, it was, yeah, it was such light weight. Once you start throwing some weight on. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll notice that like. You're almost getting an upper thoracic kind of workout in a sense as well to huh. get the upper body tight because it does mm-hmm. have the tendency to want to pull you forward once you get to a certain weight. Um, like for me, the first time I did like three plates on it, I almost fell over because I was like, oh, I'm, I got to I gotta really stay upright on this, you okay. know? Um, yeah. So I'm almost like pushing up on the handles on my bar versus, you know, just, just passively holding on in a sense. That mm-hmm. kind of brings me to something. Uh, one that we didn't get a lot of hits on here, a lot of a lot of likes, was uh, the front squat. One of the reasons I wanted this bar was I love quad training. Uh, I like to squat to really focus on the quad. Um, I've been trained to elevate my heels. I have really poor uh, ankle flexibility, so I've elevated my heels since about 2013, and I was able to grow my legs that way. Sure, it's a little bit more shearing on the knee, I think. And I know they do the they make like the platforms now that that people use. I like that mild elevation. Um, but I really wanted to see what this bar was like in that front position because you can, you know, bring the plates forward and do more of like a front squat. I could definitely feel the difference in that, and I'm excited to experiment with it. Um, by the way, this program is not presented to you by Kabuki, but you can check them out. Or get this though, we are uh, kind of affiliated with Elite now. We we're uh, kind of yeah, got a, we're definitely we've got affiliated a, with Elite. We've got a link. Elite FTS. We've got a link on Elite FTS thanks to Skip. So shout out to those guys yeah. and shout out to the Spider Bar. Um, spider Bar is great, man. I think I think the Spider Bar is great. What do you guys think but, uh, about front squats? Well, I'll talk about this one a bit because um, I got a little experience working with athletes myself as well. Um, I used to coach uh, or I was a strength conditioning coach for a semi-pro basketball team for three years. Oh. And we didn't have any of our athletes back squat because these guys are all 6'5", you know, 6'8". Um, I think the shortest guy was like 5'11". So when you have a longer femur, it's mm. actually pretty unsafe to put heavy weights on a guy's back. And it's a more safe to put the load more in front of them because it's going to be more in their line of uh, center of gravity. And they're actually going to target their quads a lot more that way versus their lower back. So 
Um, I think if you have longer femurs or you're a taller guy, you <laughs> might do better, um, at least initially, trying the front squat at first. My only problem with the front squat is, like, even, like, 135 now, like, that shit just hurts. Like, it doesn't feel comfortable like it used to when I was younger for some reason. And I got more muscle now, so I, I can't do the math and figure out why. But, like, I was a decent front squatter up until, like, I was 25 or something like that. And now, like, I don't even think I could put, like, a third or half the weight on my on my upper chest and, and, and bang out, you know, even half the reps I used to. Hmm. Um, I don't know yeah, if you guys experienced that over way. time, too. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way with front squat. No, I don't think that's what it, I think really what it, I think that anybody who's good at front squatting, there has to be it's almost it takes it takes time to build into being able to I don't know if it's necessarily I don't think it's coordination. It is for the first handful of workouts because it just feels a little more awkward. But it, the reason I don't like them is and I think you make a good point with the long femur. There are exceptions to where and that's why it's always hard when we talk about topics or we talk about or answer questions stuff. We're we're trying to answer give the best informa- information that we can for the majority of people, but everything yeah. is still so much an individual basis that it doesn't cover everything. So we may say, "Oh, front squats are great," and then someone will go, "Oh shit, I've been trying them for a year because you guys said so, and they're not great for me." Well, there's the exception. So with front squats, the thing that I don't like is it's just so uncomfortable and it limits my breathing so much having it in front of me that I swear that my my delts and the ability to keep the bar solid and, and where it's supposed to be is harder than the, the workload on my legs. It just becomes so laborious trying to keep everything, you know, my breathing and the, um, you know, the bar in place and not having my delts. I swear when I'm done, it feels like I've done a front delt because I, I don't know about you guys. I'm going to try to show it right here in my thing. I can't cross my hands and do this shit. I don't know if it's because I have a such a narrow clavicle, you know, my shoulder. I don't know, but I have to hold in front uh, and and have my elbows up to be able to create that cushion to where it feels relatively comfortable until I'm, you know, five or six reps in and then it's fuck my life because I can't breathe or anything else. I'm I'm right there with you. I'm not a big fan of them for that reason. And I think you were talking about studies earlier and talking about talking with um, Scott Stevenson. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, he posted a study or a couple studies not long ago that said that there wasn't much of any difference between quad activation and glute activation from the front to the rear squat. And I found that kind of surprising. But again, it may have been you don't know who the people are that are in the study, whether they're, you know, they have longer femurs, they're taller, they're they're shorter. It's hard telling that because there's so many variables there, but I was actually surprised by that because I would have expected to see more quad involvement from a front squat than a rear squat. And that's not what that study, I think it was two studies said. Okay. I didn't see that post. I didn't see that, but that, that does seem weird to me. It's been a movement I've never really been comfortable with, but damn, I'll tell you what, man, when someone can front squat a lot of weight, it's freaking impressive to watch, isn't it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Well, Phil, this is a good the, example. Uh, feels good. Do, do you remember the Project yeah. Super Heavyweight? Uh, uh, they're on YouTube and stuff when Justin Harris and Steve Kuklo would yeah. load like six plates or something up for their heavy sets. Yeah. And I'd just be yeah. like, whole, how do you even like comfortably breathe with that weight up there? You know? um, right, those exactly. guys are definitely impressive with the with the front squats. Um, some of those Olympic lifters actually, too, are like super, super impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about like yeah. the Olympic guys. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, they're not big or anything usually, but 
Incredible. And sometimes those guys do have crazy quads. You ever see that? Like the Olympic lifters, if they've got anything, they've got quads on them. Mm-hmm. I think because yeah. I think the yeah the big reason for that is I think that might be one of the only lifts where they're getting some eccentric loading because huh. a lot of, most of the Olympic lifts are just concentric and, and and speed stuff. They get very you know they drop the bars when they're doing anything overhead, True. so they're not getting mm-hmm. any of the uh, the eccentric loading. Which I think that's one of the main reasons why they have smaller upper bodies compared to their lower bodies because they're actually getting the eccentric on the on the huh. squats and whatnot. Yeah, that's an interesting insight. I could see there I could see there being something to that. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for watching another podcast here at Think Big Bodybuilding Media. And thank you to our great sponsor, TrueNutrition.com, for making this all possible. TrueNutrition.com is owned by Dante Trudell, the creator of DC Training. He wanted to create a supplement company that offered high-quality third-party tested supplements at a fair price. High-quality protein powders, just about every type you could think of. Huge variety of flavors, plus health and performance supplements. Check them out, TrueNutrition.com. And hey, if you use our code ADVICES, you directly support our podcasting. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the program. You know, kind of like what I said at the beginning, uh, squats are something that we, well, we always think if you want a big physique, you got to have big legs. And if you want big legs, you've got to squat. Um, I think that there are people who are getting away with trying to get around the hard work and I think that that all of us who have been around we all we all can be like you know kids today that type of thing but there's some reality to it and uh there was a comment we had that I thought would kind of be a really nice kind of transition into some of our our listener stuff this was from Nate Spear he had said uh please discuss thoughts on the importance of squatting deadlifting Barbell row, T-bar row, the hard lifts, the first few years of a young bodybuilder's journey, and how does a young bodybuilder know what information to use? For example, I see a lot of young guys taking advice from pros that have changed their training over the years. So they might hear a pro say that all he does is hack squat and leg press, uh, but little does he know that that pro squatted and walking lunged for his first five years and now they apply what the pro is doing with their own to their own training uh as we talk about this for anybody who's who's not familiar with us maybe you're just tuning in for the to this uh show to the first time maybe you don't know us maybe you don't know andrew andrew is the coach of nate the guy who made that post who is arguably one of the best bodybuilders in the mpc right now Shout out, Nate. I know if he was watching at least. <laughs> uh, and Nate has some incredible quads. He's a guy, he, he hasn't been training for super long, uh, but he's worked his ass off uh, and he's worked hard. I mean, he's been training for, is it like under 10, competing, I should say, for under 10 years, is it, Andrew? He's been competing for like six years. Okay. And he's probably been training for like eight, but I don't think he was seriously training until about six years ago. Okay. So, but but right from when he started training, like, yeah. He was doing the hard stuff, and today okay. he's still doing the hard stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that, about his training, what it, what he's done to get where he is, because he's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know what to say other than he doesn't shy away from the hard stuff. Like he's doing the squats, he's doing hack. Like he'll send me a video of him doing like a five plate squat for like ten reps, like continuous tension, no stopping breathing. And then he'll be like, oh, yeah, this was after this. And he'll show me the hack squat he said he did before that with, like, seven plates, no bands, and uh, where he got, like, 20 reps or something like that. <laughs> so, 
I mean, that's just an example of like a typical leg day for him. I, when he used to come up and train legs with us up here in Vermont, it was like, like I had to mentally get ready. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it was, uh, you know, it, it was definitely good because we used to push each other so hard on some of these sets that, you know, you're lying on the floor afterwards. I'd go outside to puke for a minute in the cold air or something. Like it was definitely like intense stuff. And I know he trains that way every single day. I mean, you guys have seen probably recently his, um, he really improved his, his upper body pressing, yeah. shoulder pressing and, and inclined uh, barbell pressing three to four plates for like eight reps, not just like a one rep, almost tear your pec type thing, um, like a full like eight to ten reps. Um, and when we started, he was doing like 185, 225. So okay. he's grinded out, adding five pounds to the bar every workout that, you know, just, just moving up those ranks like crazy. And it's a testament to his hard work for sure. Um, I don't think he literally takes any workout for granted because, hmm. you know, like, you know, like you're like, oh, you know, I just got done the competing season and I've got, you know, 10 months until I'm going to get on stage again. And, you know, there's that stuff that can get in your head of like, OK, you got time to kind of relax and take it easy. I think he's he, he, mentally he's like right back in the lab trying to get as strong and as big as he can and carrying that over into his next competitive season so that there's literally no lag. Like I have to tell him when to take like four or five days off, like, just, you know, don't don't go to the gym or or, you know, go do some of the fluffy machines and that kind of thing for three days in a row. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he's definitely one of your hardest workers out there. Cool. I, I just wanted to make sure we kind of painted a picture of of who he is in his work ethic, because he is a guy who has stuck by that stuff. And it's really the hard work. It's really paid off for him, too. Um, I, I'm really excited to kind of segue, like I said, into this topic, because I feel like this is completely associated uh, I mean, none of those movements that we were talking about are easy. You know, Skip, you were talking about like 20 rep sets on the squat. You can do the same thing on the hack squat. Those are going to be some of the hardest exercises that you do in the gym. I think anything you do with legs where you're really working, I mean, your your heart rate gets so high, your oxygen gets so taxed. As you were talking about those movements, Skip, I like I can't think of and I think you kind of referenced this too, Andrew. I can't think of anything else in the gym that's that difficult. No, I think T bar and barbell rows though. Those are those are tough too. High rep deads, definitely. There you Absolutely. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. And you know, Nate made a his question is is very valid and I'm actually glad that he asked it cuz we may have skipped over it without really touching on this, but you know, He's right in the sense that, you know, when people beginning to train or starting to train relative newbies, they do go to people with a lot of experience or prefer to go to people with a lot of experience to get training advice. And they may get the wrong advices in the sense that we do tend to talk about what we do now versus when we started. And I think a good trainer will make sure that the information that they're giving a specific person is based on their level of training Mm. and things like squats, think complicated um, exercises that take, that involve a lot of muscles and involve a lot of coordination, develop nerve pathways that, you know, a tricep press down just doesn't close grip bench presses in a case like that or dips, those things are, are more important for the person starting out because they don't know really how to generate intensity. And even when they do learn how to do that, they're still not able to apply that level of intensity that they're going to get in four or five, six years with that same movement. So there is this learning curve. You do have to get in there and just really pound those basic movements. But I think as you progress, you get to the point where, you know, like Andrew's talking about or, or I'm talking about where, 
you know, or Steve Kukolo, you know, or Phil Heath, who don't, they don't pull big anymore. Of course, Phil never really pulled very big anyway, but Steve, you know, he doesn't pull big deadlifts anymore. Um, and he'll admit it, but he did early on. He, he may not even, you know, front squat anywhere near what he was doing or back squat. I, I don't know much about Steve's training anymore, but it does evolve. It has to evolve. It can't ever your training can't ever stay the same because if it does, you're in some fashion, you're making a mistake because your physique evolves and what your physique needs evolves and the wear and tear on the body evolves and typically will get worse. And even if it doesn't get worse, you're moving larger poundages. So you're going to move into this section where yeah, I use the curls as an example. You know, when you first start out, you can curl straight armed and you can come up and everything. try curling straight arm anymore after you build any type of mass on your arm and it's just not going to work you can't force your 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 wrists into positions that you could have when you were smaller so they're just there are those those physical changes that take place over time too and then of course degeneration of whether it be knees or back or whatever else training has to evolve. And I think trainers need to be careful when they're giving information to, to someone that they're giving the information that applies to, to them specifically based on their history of training. Can I touch on that one too, a little bit? Have at it, man. Um, to also to uh, Skip's point, I think, I think, you know, in a way maybe the Instagram social media might be kind of causing a lot of this huh. because, and, and the fact that we live in a world where, like, people can get anabolic substances by going on a website, ordering them almost as quickly as Amazon, and they're there two days later. So my point right. with this is that I think a lot of shortcuts, in a sense, have been taken, or it appears that they've been taken, by front-loading higher dosages of gear, um, using more dangerous types of gear than maybe someone would start with when they were younger in their career, and they can get away with some of those less intense, less hardcore, you know, training exercises like deadlifts, barbell rows, back squats, that kind of thing. Um, I just think that that kind of plays a role into it as well, because the other thing is like everybody's a coach nowadays. So, right. you know, Joe Blow, who has really good genetics, who's been training for two and a half, three years, takes a bunch of gear, goes pro in basically 1.5 years, and it looks like he's put on 40 pounds of muscle. So some kid's going to hire him as a coach and mm. tell him exactly what he did. Well, maybe right. he didn't have to do the hard stuff to put on his muscle because he's on that he's in that upper echelon of genetics. Because as this sport has grown, mm-hmm. I mean you guys you guys know when we all started, especially you guys, it was a real fringe sport, right? Yeah. You go into the gym and it's like maybe one other guy had done a bodybuilding show and they took you under the right. under their wings, had you do the hard workouts with them and you know, just kind of told you, you know, how things went. Now the sport has grown so big that we're attracting people, uh, genetically elite people that we might have not have ever seen before because bodybuilding is so cool today. True. If you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. The, so the talent pool is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. yeah. I feel sorry for a lot of people. I've said it a lot over the years, but it, and I always describe the industry and finding a trainer as a giant sea of turds. It really is difficult. It has to be incredibly difficult for someone who is not well-versed with the industry, doesn't know names or reputations or track records to be able to sift through and find out who really does know their shit and who is, I don't want to say clueless. I don't think anyone is, or I'd like to think no one is really clueless, Um, but it has to be very difficult. I think when you don't know what you're getting into, I don't know how many times I've had people contact me and go, well, I've had such a bad luck or a bad run, you know, training with trainers that I'm just not sure. 
And I mean, that's, I hear it so often that it's just kind of like, yep, you and everybody else. I mean, you know, welcome. Yeah. (laughs) I I think another thing that um, I I see, uh, this is something I come up against with the younger people I work with. And, and when I say younger, I'll say guys in their early twenties, when they are modeling after the genetic elite is uh, they're also they're tri- not only are they picking well okay let me say this I see some guys that are maybe tailing their workouts after over after guys that are already like quote unquote there that don't need to put on any mass I think that that is one thing but another thing I see is um, they're training with like maybe too much volume. I see guys that, and I, I, I think of a guy I just started working with who's training seven days a week. Uh, and this guy trains hard from what it sounds like. I mean, you could only train so hard though, if you're training seven days, the way I describe it is it's like you're at a, cause I've done it when I was younger. I remember going through a phase where I was like, I don't have anything else to do with my life. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I'm just going to go every day. And eventually, you know, Eventually, I came to my senses. But you come to a point where, like, you can't get the intensity you need. It's almost like I punched out at work and I got to the gym and I punched the clock, you know, and like, what Mm -hmm. am I doing today? What's my routine? Okay, I'll go through that routine. You're not you're not able to get as much out of it. And I see that as being almost just just as much uh, of an issue for some of the younger guys. And then, Andrew, like you're talking about with the chemical enhancement you can really kind of make up for overtraining and staying in the gym uh, and being able to continue pushing if you're using gear, especially if you're using it really before you need it. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be a one plus one equals two. I think that there's going to be a lot of diminishing returns that are going to come. You're going to get burnt out, I guess, a lot faster. Uh, That's that's kind of one kind of related. It's it's not exactly the same thing, but it's a I guess another another place where I see young people making a mistake uh, when it comes to modeling after the elite, because there are guys out there that can handle a lot more. And I've referenced this a bunch of times, but when Scott Stevenson and I spoke with Brandon Curry last year, we broke down like what happens at Oxygen Gym at Oxygen Gym. They grind you. They push you. You train a lot. And for the vast majority of people, that doesn't work. And if it doesn't work for you at Oxygen Gym, then you get pushed to the wayside. But Brandon Curry can handle that so guys like him stay there because it works. Because there is that genetic elite that can handle getting pushed, getting pushed, getting pushed. He had said too, Brandon said like he listens to all the podcasts and he and he listens to, you know, the smart people in the industry. And one of the big things for him was because I asked him, I was like, what was the real difference maker? that allowed you to push that little extra bit. He was already great, but what made him able to push that extra level? And he said, I'd always listened to the to the voice of reason that you need to take a lot of rest and that you needed to give your muscles a break. And then I realized uh, at Oxygen that I didn't need that, that I was that tiny fraction, that little tiny half of a percent, the Brandon Currys of the world, as I say now, that can do that. The rest of us right. can't, you know? Nate, Nate Spear, I'm sure that he needs probably not as much rest as I do, but I'm sure he needs more rest than Brandon Curry does. I don't know. You tell me. Am I wrong, right. Andrew? I'm curious. No, you, no, you hit the nail on the head. I think you know, you're talking about the genetic 0.02% of all bodybuilders out there, the Brandon Currys, the Phil Heaths, the, you know, the uh, big Ramis that 
you know, their bodies assimilate proteins faster than the rest of us. And by that token, that means they're uh, uh, recovering, assimilating muscle protein and recovering from those hard strenuous workouts faster than the rest of us. You add in chemicals that speed up that process, they're utilizing those chemicals better than the rest of us. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessarily a matter of hard work. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people out here, amateurs, pros that work very, very hard. Yeah, but some agreed. people respond to the, the training, the stimulus and the food better than the rest of us. And that's just all it is. You just got if you get into the sport and you accept that and you're like, I'm going to do the best I can with my set of uh, uh, you know variables, then I think you're going to do okay. But if you go into it yeah. thinking like, oh, well, Brandon Curry trains six and a half, seven days a week, then and he's taking this, this, and this, and he's this exact diet. No, it's not going to work for you. You know, you're going to have a distended gut, you're going to have bad joints, and you're probably going to be out of the sport in two years because you're going to get bu- uh, burnt out. You know. Hey, easy, easy. Go easy on me here, pal. <laughs> Let's not get mean here. <laughs> no, and I want to add one thing before we move on. I, I do think it's important. I've changed my perspective on how I view the newbie, I, I, not ideology, but the way they perceive things. I used to think it was stupid because I would, I would think that it was illogical, but it's not. It's very logical for someone who has no background and understanding of bodybuilding, training, supplementation, recovery, nutrition, things like that, to look at someone who is big and see what they do. I mean, look, when I was younger, I'll fully admit, if a guy was big in the gym, I wanted to know what he did. And whatever he would have told me to do, I was going to fucking do it. Because logically, you think that's what got him there. It's going to get me there. And, and that's why I think that these types of discussions, I wish they happened more often in the industry because people need to know that there are steps to get there. We all want to cut corners any at any point we can. I've been training for 37 years. I'll still cut a corner like a motherfucker if I know that I can or think I can cut it. The problem is, is I've spent so much time <laughs> realizing that cutting corners doesn't work anymore, but I still have that that in my brain where I'm thinking to myself, hmm, maybe I can cut corners on this knee injury and I can do this or I can do that. And I'm reminded quickly, you know, or soon after that, that I can't do that. I think it's logical. It's sensical to, to look at somebody who's big and in shape. So I don't, I don't hold it against them for having that, that idea that that's who they need to go with. I almost want to put it more on the trainers for misrepresenting themselves. But mm-hmm. I think it's part of it is ego. The other part is, is I think that people are truly when they have, let's say a guy turns pro in three years, I think in his mind, I think he does think he's qualified and I think he thinks he's experienced. And I think, and, and, and those terms, I guess are relative terms. When you think about it, he is certainly more qualified than the person coming to him. So there's that. Sure. You know, it's hard to get mad at somebody and go, come on, you don't have to work with me, but work with someone who fucking who knows what the hell they're doing. Don't throw your money at this at this guy when he really doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Work with someone who knows what they're doing. But they you have that's part of the learning process. It's like it's after raising kids, it's the same thing. You tell your kids over and over and over, don't do this stupid shit, don't do that stupid shit. But they have to learn by making those mistakes and I, just like I had to and you had to, and they're gonna have to do the same thing. Fair enough. We do have uh, some other listener uh, questions that were added in here. Uh, before we do move on, though, I mean, do you guys want to add anything else, Andrew? No, I think we kind of beat that topic up six different ways, and Let's I don't know. Do I think though. we covered it. So we, we I'll ended throw up, one yeah. thing in. Can I throw one thing in? Hey, you're the if one that's got the dinner sure, appointment, so it's up to yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> true. Good point. Um, if you if you still want more information about squatting and you really want to look to um, a source that that has just 
extremely high levels uh, of, say, um, you know, knowledge around squatting and, and things like that. Elite FTS is the, you know, the place to be. I mean, these guys, I've had questions about things where I have gone to those guys and they'll, they'll answer the question and the things that they know oh, about yeah. foot placement knees. We were talking about knee valgus um, just yesterday or the day before um, there was a video that, and I mean, these, these people, they, you know, they know their shit. And when you're talking about the bars and everything else, of course, Elite FTS. I don't know if you can hear Linus in the background. He oh, doesn't yeah. like that it's so quiet. Sorry about that. Um, there's no background noise other than me talking. But Elite FTS is the leading um, equipment manufacturer. And I know there are other equipment manufacturers who would argue that, but they would lose. Elite FTS is elite, and they sell the best um, you know, training equipment, especially for um, you know, powerlifting and bars and things like that, that if you're looking for bars or you want a, a different bar or you're trying to, you're a gym owner and you want a variety of bars, check out Elite FTS because they've got all the shit, all the good shit, all the good toys. Yeah, I've been watching uh, more of their videos on YouTube to mm -hmm. help me with my technique. Like I said, I wanted to figure out how to do a Hatfield spot and uh, I just typed it into to YouTube and one of the first things that came up was Murph's training log. So Yep. Uh, I mean, it never hurts. I've squatted for a long time, put it that way, and I still just learn something by checking that out. So I'm I'm all for that. All right. So like I like I was starting to say, uh, I asked for training questions. This is our our uh, Easter training extravaganza. Although the recorded version is going to come out after Easter, it's all still valid stuff. We got a bunch of training <laughs> stuff. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll just go. We kind of covered this a little bit. Actually, I think we already did. Uh, one of our listeners had asked about front squats. Now, here's the deal. Uh, this is one of my clients. He says, can front squats be as effective as back squats for leg development? Thanks. He's kind of in a situation where this is a big dude, over three bills, and he's getting into some pretty good shape now. He's been uh, working with me for a little while. Uh, incredible lats. Uh, strong guy. He can't get his arms back. The first time I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe have to put him on blast here for a minute. It scared the shit out of me. He showed me his back squat, and what he did, I can't remember if he was squatting like three or four plates. He took his arms and he put them. I'm gonna move over here so you can see me through the holes of the plates. Yes. Yeah. So his arms were straight out, and I'm just thinking like, fuck, if he has to bail. Like what happens, you know, you get, you yeah. turned in, you get turned into a T-boner, you know, a wishbone. I'm thinking just get. Did you say a T-boner? You said a T-boner. I, I said T-bone or skip. We hear what we want to hear. <laughs> 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 but I don't know. We kind of, we kind of, I think already covered that with, uh, I, they can be yeah. just as effective. And for him, obviously it's going to be more effective than back squat, but I'm still trying to get him to work on his shoulder mobility. Yeah, because exactly. I think that's important shit too. Um, yeah. What else do we have here? And then I'm gonna uh, actually grab some carbs. I've got some weird blood sugar stuff going on. Uh, it's not insulin, just from being. So are you sweating a little bit? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm starting to get a little this guy. Yeah, I wondered. You, you go grab your carbs. We'll cover it. All right, you read it, Skip. You I actually it. know this guy. No problem. I know this guy. He uh, won his class this weekend and took a. He lost a split decision. I hate because it's happened to me a couple times. 
God, I hate losing a split decision. I know it should be this pat on the back, like, oh, you were battling, you know, and your, your, your buddies try to make you feel better about it, but you lost a split decision and you were that close and it's like, oh, but anyway, he, uh, we got another show in, in about three weeks and, and uh, I was pretty happy for him. He's in the um, physique division, but great physique. Anyway, question, thoughts on training a body part that is highly developed every other week to work on growing a lagging body part. Also, shout out to to me for helping with my class this weekend. I guess I got ahead of myself. <laughs> thoughts on training a body part that is highly developed every, every other week to work on growing. Okay. Um, what do you think? Run with it. Uh, well, first, congratulations on the class win. It's always fun. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with – I'm always a try, uh, try something and see how it's working, and if it's not working, go back to what you know something else kind of guy. So I would say absolutely, um, you know, pull it back. Maybe not once a week, maybe once every five to six days. If his split is, you know, like a push-pull lower body, maybe do push-pull lower, push-pull, you know, a couple days off, then start the push-pull thing again. Um but yeah, I wouldn't see a problem with uh, you know taking a, a highly developed body part out of the regular training mix and working it a little less frequently. What do you think? And I think too, when you bring up, let's use arms as an, as an example. Even switching to just push pull legs does put, say, your triceps at the end of a chest and shoulder workout. You're not going to be able to hit them as hard. You could probably lower the volume a little bit. Same with biceps. So that's an option there too. I know myself, um, and I'm staying with arms as the example. Um, I don't have very good body parts, but my arms and calves tend to be better than everything else. I, I just wish that my everything else grew and was in such great condition as my limbs. But anyway, what I did was I a couple years ago, I think it's been a few years now, but I said, you know, my arms are in pretty good shape. They're going to keep their size from pre heavy pressing and pulling. I'll train arms every other week, kind of like as, as an experiment. And the fucking thing is grew. They didn't grow like, oh, my God, now they're just even huger than they were before. But they grew in the sense that I made more progress strength-wise than I had in the last three years prior. And I wasn't really – I didn't kick back on intensity or really how I trained them, but just on the frequency. And I was surprised by that. And the more I thought about it, I shouldn't have been surprised because I do think a lot of people tend to overtrain arms. I mean, what's the first thing that someone thinks of when their arms are lagging? You're going to train them more frequently. Well, you're already yeah. pounding them with heavy pulling and pushing. And then you're now adding even more direct work on top of the direct work you were doing. Now, if we change that to, say, chest or legs or something like that, um, if that's a body part that's highly developed, I mean, I think logically it does make sense. If it is more developed, you could probably train it less frequently and then be able to give the time and the recovery to other groups, that, other muscle groups that you're trying to bring up. I think the big important thing here is when you're going to give more time, excuse me, <clears throat> to a weaker body part, you also have to make sure that the added training is going to help versus you being overtrained and actually needing more recovery. And I think you'll find out real quick, six to eight weeks should probably give you a good idea because if you're still not progressing any better, then it's typically not going to be, well, now I need even more work. It's probably going to be that yeah. you, the recovery is the issue and you're going to have to back off because what's weird about recovery. And I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I mean, I, I, I think you would, but you can have other muscle groups that grow relatively well and tend to recover. And then you can have a muscle group that doesn't recover as well. And it's kind of an odd yeah. thing. So there's almost two ways of looking at 
it overtrain. You can overtrain a specific muscle group, then you can overtrain your entire CNS or your body is just overtrained as a whole. And I think that, you know, I, one of the ways I came up with that was I could overtrain my upper chest and start to lose strength. I would regress on my upper chest pressing, but then I could open with a flatter decline press and still continue to progress. And it was just the weirdest most bizarre thing and, and this happened years ago and i just kind of liked it i thought wow okay well that seems that seems pretty obvious yeah i agree with you i, th- I think it kind of just gets back to what i was saying like try it out for you know a, a training cycle of, you know whether it's four weeks or eight weeks or whatever and chart your progress right. and you know if it's working obviously stay with it because at the same token we don't want to make a great body part worse right we we want to keep right. it as a great body part we just want to give more attention or do whatever would be more effective to get those other body parts to come up a little bit and it, i think right. there's some things you can do with that in terms of uh, nutrition you know um, you know, maybe pushing a little bit more nutrition and maybe certain special chemicals on certain days to try to, you know, give a little bit more attention to those body parts that do need to come up um, so that you might not even need to take, you know, your strong body part out of that rotation. Maybe just cut it down to like if you're doing, you know, six hard sets for, say, a chest workout, if that's your hard, you know, your, your good body part, maybe just cut it to three and, you know, spend more time on your delts and your other body parts that need a little bit more work. Um, but I do right. think you can, you can get around weak body parts with, you know, better, uh, you know, certain nutritional strategies and certain chemical strategies um, and also certain rest strategies. You know, I think if you put a day off before your weak body part and plan a day off yep. afterwards, I think that's going to make a, a good amount of difference, more so actually than almost any of those other modalities that I was talking about. Um, I agree completely. Planning, so you're, yep. you're. You're well rested. You're glycogen fed. You're, you're glycogen full, and then you train, stimulate, and then you're giving yourself a full uh, a day of rest afterwards before you hit the other body parts. Um, I think you're going to increase your recovery on that bad body or that poor body part, and it's going to lead to bringing uh, coming up. Agreed. Yep. I'm back. I pretty much agree with you guys on most everything, so I'm not going to say anything on this one because I'm probably just going to say stuff you guys already said. <laughs> Instead, I got another one here. Well, well played, well played. We got a trap queen, a trap training question here, uh, and I've got some stuff I will add in when when it comes back around to me. Uh, techniques to build traps if deadlifts and heavy heavy to moderate shrugs are no go because of low back pain. Who wants to take this one first? Hmm. Heavy shrugs, heavy. I got, you want it? I got one. So. All right. This is an exercise that I that I don't really see a lot of people doing. I'm not saying I invented it or anything, but um, everyone has probably a T-bar row uh, or chest supported T-bar row in their in their gym. Yeah. Um, if you basically put the weight on there, keep your arms straight, and then retract, yes. targeting your medial uh, your medial traps, you will get a nasty pump there. Um, and if you, you can go pretty heavy, you know, you can go three, four plates, but you don't really need to, I would say two to three plates on that. If you're an experienced bodybuilder and you can, you know, if you can keep our row four or five plates, I think two or three plates is going to be your sweet spot sets of 12 to 15 or something like that. And I think you're really going to target at least the lower medial part of your traps. Um, it might not get, you know, fully up in the capped area, but, um, I, I, I've seen a lot of growth there by doing that exercise myself. I can see. That. I think that's good advice. What I was vision envisioning or seeing in my head was, I don't know how bad his lower back is, so maybe getting into position could be tough. But if you set up a high incline and adjustable bench and you f- really high, like not not straight up, but like this much of an incline mm. and you lean into it, th- there's a catch here, though, and this is fucking important. You have to be able to stand on the frame 
of the bench or it will slide. Exactly. Or tip. So if you can lean into it and do dumbbell shrugs, that would be not straight up, but kind of up and back because of the incline, then it would be similar to what you're saying. So I, I think with your example, it would be easier to get into position if he had lower back problems versus trying to get heavier dumbbells into position on an incline. Cause you'd have to like lean into it. You'd have to almost kind of fall into the bench a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think both are well, possible. You Yours might be the better option though. Well, maybe if you set up two benches alongside it with the dumbbells resting on that so that you're kind of squat down to pick them up, your arms are already, already locked out and you kind of, your feet are on the, the back of the bench, the, the platform to keep it steady and you stand up with the weights, so you're not like you know coming forward with them. You're kind of gliding up the bench a little bit. It might be right. too much work, or you might need a buddy that maybe maybe you got one of them and a buddy hands you the other one if you have a training partner. Right. That might be the best yeah. thing for that. Yeah, and I think you're right. Weird. It would probably work, but then if you use three benches in my gym, you're probably going to get bitched at at some point. <laughs> Somebody's well, going to be pissed well, because they're going to be waiting to do something. Well, didn't somebody say he was the biggest guy? I mean – or that, maybe that's yeah. maybe that was Scott's line. <laughs> well, that and I'm usually the only one in my gym now. But I guess I was thinking of the gym that I train clients in too. So <laughs> I got a couple thoughts. <clears throat> I feel like uh, number one, I see people using way too much weight on shrugs, and they're mm-hmm. not using a good range of motion. So I mean, I've dealt with low back issues too. I've trained and had to watch my low back even doing shrugs. Um, I think that. My first thought would be, can you get more out of less? Oh, Jeremy's with us right now. What's up, man? <clears throat> He's watching the show live. Uh, what does he say here? Skip, I actually just, I got to move some stuff around here. Just tried. He tried that today. He tried your move today. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Very cool. my knees on the bottom of an incline. Uh, didn't have to go heavy, and it worked really good. Cool. Um, so he cool. put his knees on the bench, so he's kind of like, Excellent he's like sitting balanced. on the bench, like in a, in a in a kneeling position, is I think that he's what, facing. Yeah, that's got to be awkward. Yeah, yeah, he's in. But he said he's on yeah, his knees. That's even harder to get into. Yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. But he may have he may have done that because he didn't have the frame to stand on. Because if he, I would think, I mean, standing against it would be a lot easier. But if you don't have the frame to stand on, it's going to move on you, or it's yeah. going to tip forward. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, my thought was. Uh, Look at how much weight you're using. Look at your technique. Can And that I think that really goes into play for all of us. But especially if you have a back issue, you already can't sling weight around in a lot of stuff you're doing. Uh, right. You know, my leg training for a long time with low back issues was how do I get the most I can uh, while working within my limitations, you know, with X amount of pounds. Um, I think about. Like the one of the, one of Meadows things that uh, when I used to train back with Shelby, we'd do shrugs at the end of the workout, and John would have us do like a squeeze at the top for one full second, and then a slow negative. How often do you really see people doing a slow negative on shrugs, let alone squeezing all the way up? A lot of times, like I was starting well, we a two second with, squeeze. Yeah, yeah, we've well, done the two-second I think a lot squeezes. of them we wrote in the two-second squeezes, and that cuts your weight down by about 30 40% easy. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I don't yeah. care what you're using before. You might only need, like, I I mean, a strong guy might only be using 85-pound dumbbells on with a two-second squeeze and the slow negative. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. you could you could really get creative, and I think you have to get creative, creative if you want to keep getting stronger with low back issues. So that's one thing. I don't know how he would do with this. 
Also, I wonder too, low back, can he, can he train sitting down? If he can, I mean, a seated shrug, there's that. Or, uh, I don't really do these a lot, but have you guys ever seen those like reverse shrugs in the Smith machine? Yeah. Overhead. Yeah. But again, I think it just, I think oh, it just comes down really? to the, yeah, but oh. I think overhead like that, I think again, it would probably load his, I, I got to go against you on one thing, Scott. What's that? I don't think sitting down and doing shrugs is a good idea. If he's got a lower back and I'll tell you why, because you don't, when you stand up, you can, um, you can flex and tighten your glutes to help stabilize the lower back. And you can't do that when you're sitting down. So one of the things I don't like, I don't like about the hammer, um, the typical hammer, because they have that seat on there. That's what I was picturing. I had a client ask me the other day, he's like, what are these lower handles for? I'm like, oh, that's because when they made this piece of equipment 25 years ago, some dumbass thought it'd be a great idea to sit down (laughs) and put these handles down here. Now, for the average person, that wouldn't be an issue or may not be an issue. But you you lose stability in the lower back if you're seated holding on to a lot of weight because you're not able to contract and keep your glutes tight to help stabilize the lower back. So if he's already got an existing issue, and I only know this because I had such horrible back problems, and yeah. I thought, oh, this is going to be a great idea, and it turned out to not be a great idea. Yeah. So it didn't, it didn't work for me. I don't know if it would work for him. Every back injury is different, but still. It worked. It's, it's it worked for me, but I think you're probably right. I think I'd I'd go back to my number one. I was looking for additional stuff to add in. You know, my number yeah, one would yeah. be you know really see what you can get out of the least amount. Uh, we got some more stuff here. We can power through and figure out what your lower back issue is. Don't tr- try to train around it, um, with the exception of while you're trying to bring your back back to a healthy stand like a healthy position. Um, I think a lot of people, they feel like they have lower back issues Mm -hmm. and they're always going to have them. uh, And you don't want to get into that mindset. You Mm want to find out what's wrong and you want to rehabilitate it and get your back back. Fair enough. All right. Um, How to go about rest when doing unilateral work, like uh, one arm rows or split squats, do one side, then rest the other. Uh, that would tax the latter side, wouldn't it? Maybe do one side, rest a bit, do the other, rest a bit, repeat. What do you guys think there? I think it's a good question. I look, dude. <laughs> yeah. I, so do you guys train with partners? I know, Scott, you train in your house. And yeah, Do you train with the wife or? I train with my wife and God love her. She's in the other room. She may hear me, but I don't consider her my training partner because she's not going to help me for shit. So I train by myself for all intents and purposes. (laughs) Well, well, I'm lucky because I usually have a stable of training partners to choose from. Usually a lot younger than me that are on the way up and, you know, kind of push me. But anyway, so I find that like, say you're doing rows, for instance, you know, once you get to like a certain weight and you're doing your all out, you know, heavy sets, I definitely want to do my one arm first and then I'm going to let him go and do his arm while I'm breathing. Cause I want to get my breathing back down to where it was for that other side. So I'm giving it the same opportunity as I, as I did. And, you know, that's for, you know, the Bulgarian split squats or, um, you know, one arm rows or, um, those are really the only two examples I can think of. If you ever tried to do like the Bulgarian split squat, drop set of death, go one leg right into the other. It's just not going to end pretty. Yeah, for you're, you. you're not going to make yeah, it. Through, I agree. You're not going to make it through that second. A lot of it because it's the oxygen yep. debt more than anything, but um, but yeah, I, I think it's good to you know it, once you get to those heavy sets, you want to make sure you're giving both sides equal opportunity as much as possible to, to to get the most out of each set. So, 
I don't disagree with that. I, I feel add, the same. I, I, I will add a caveat, though, because um, I'm actually experiencing this myself where um, I have an issue with my right lat right now. It's a neck injury. I'm doing a lot of PT and stuff with it. Um, some and when I'm training by myself, I will actually go do my right arm and then go into my left arm at kind of a deficit in a sense on the rows because I want I don't want this side to go get too far ahead of my right injured side. So gotcha. I, I kind of just I just kind of counteracted my first point there, but with a caveat of this side is needs to come up, so I'm giving it the, the best you know the best uh, the best opportunity, and I'm I'm handicapping the other side a little bit so it doesn't get too far ahead of the other one. So. Now, I don't let a training partner go, but only because I don't have one. But I do recommend, uh, just like you're saying, there should be a little bit of a get. You got to get a little bit of your breathing back, whether it be lunges. Lunges or Bulgarian uh, squats are a good example because even though you're supposed to be using the front leg to do 95% of the work, the back leg is going to work. So if it's already fatigued, I mean, how are you possibly, especially if you're going to push as close to failure as you can, you're going to end up with, you know, once the other thing too, that I think is important in a situation like this, when you're working one side over the other is start with your weaker side. I was just thinking that you don't start. Yeah. You start with your weaker side because then at your strong side, you might, if you do happen to lose a rep or two, then it will at least balance out, but you still want to try to obviously train both sides equally, which is another reason that I don't like to do one side, all the reps on one side and then the other side. It's a me thing. I'm OCD, but I like to alternate left, right, left, right, left, right, that sort of thing. I, you can't do it on lunges. So you might be, well, skip, what do you do? I do a sequence. I'll do the lower reps so that they're not as exhausting, but they'll be more like a, say a six, six left, six right without stopping six left or five left five right four and i do a six five four three two one where hmm. there's no right that way by the time i'm to the end both legs are so fucked that it doesn't matter and one isn't benefiting any more than the other <laughs> are you guys both right-handed yeah. i'm actually ambidextrous so i find i my balance is actually pretty good with my strength on both sides i can throw baseballs you, and footballs on both sides you're kidding were you were you like shit. when you were a kid did you write with both hands no, but I can. You can, but I'm saying and, and that I, I, can, which, and I can. Are you, quite are, impressive. Are you right-handed? I no, I wrote. I wrote right-handed. Okay. I wrote right-handed. I, which? But I I'm just curious. With my left. <laughs> I'm just curious. Which foot, when you go to walk, which foot steps first? I'm just curious. Wow, my that's left. a tough my one. Left. I usually go. Like I'm, I'm, I go with skateboards. I'm more balanced on my left. Yeah. Okay. I'm more. If I'm to jump like on a, a skateboard, like a I go with my foot. left as well. Yeah. So your left, too, in that sense. which your left foot kicks or your left foot stands on the skateboard, Skip? I would kick either way. Um, I don't have a preference, but if I if no, I was like, just if which, I had which to foot's jump on the board, on skateboard, yeah, yeah. Which foot's on the yeah, board? If I jump on the skateboard, I would I would lead with my left. Yeah, okay. I Here's would a better example. You're, you're doing you're doing Bulgarian split squats. Which leg do you feel more in control with? Yeah. See, I can't do that because that, they're both. I don't have. Okay. So I know that sounds fucked equal. up, but I really don't. I am. I'm almost as equal 50 50. If it's not, it's 49 51. I mean, I just don't have. If I have to pick a weaker side development wise, like visually, yeah. my right side no, no, isn't no, as pretty not, as my left. But strength, yeah. strength isn't going to. I don't have a left or right. I know that's fucked up, but no, that's not I'm to not say that I didn't before. I had shoulder issues and shit like that early on, but. Oh, shit. Well, well, I'll give you an example. So 
my left leg is more coordinated. Like if I want to do like a single leg stiff like a deadlift, for example, just not that I do, but if I wanted to, I'm way more balanced. I can go up and down on that. My right one, I feel like I'm going to fall over if, huh. if my right foot's on the ground. But my right, right leg is actually stronger than my left. Like if, if I was doing single leg leg presses, I can do more with my right leg. Oddly enough, my left leg is more developed. So <laughs> figure that one out, right? <laughs> just a yeah, random thing, random question I had just, got me thinking. Yeah. All right. We had one about uh, putting the foam roller. I, I did a follow-up because I wasn't sure what he was talking about. <clears throat> Have you seen people using a foam roller uh, under the shoulder pads uh, to change the angle of the hack squat? I know Dusty does this. Uh, how does that work, and what are some other ways to change angles to isolate different parts of the quad? I don't have any experience with this. If you guys do, you can, but I don't. No, I do it. I do it myself um, quite often. It feels much more comfortable to me on my lower back, for one thing. Um, I feel like like I'm able to target my outer sweep a little bit more. Um, I I feel more in control when I do that, to tell you the truth, than when I'm flat back against the the pad. Maybe because I have a tendency to be taller to try to – just right underneath your shoulders. So, like, okay, so you know, like, the – the arms of the uh, of the pad, you put the roller oh. right here, and then you're laying you're you're laying against. So your upper traps are against That's, the pad. The uh, you can't the foam back quite so, as far. You you're okay. kind of uh, arch yeah. forward a little more. Yeah. 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 That's why um, I had I, that's how I hacked. Uh, okay. Damn. Yeah, I, I thought I tried everything. I'll be goddamn. <laughs> you know what? I haven't used it either. I, I see people using. It. I see Dusty using it. I haven't done it. But in terms of what? I was going to say in terms of other ways to like change angles, foot position, that kind of thing and activation. Um, I you got to cut the weight on this one, but I really like going up on my toes on the hack squat, um, putting your feet as low as you possibly can and letting your knees purposely go over your toes. Again, this isn't like, don't think you're going to, if you're a six plate hack squatter, you're not going to be doing six plates on this. Or if you do, you're stupid right. because you're going to have some major, you know, try one or two plates or something like that. And I think you're really going to get the teardrop really well. Um, Especially if you, if you really control your speed, don't bomb out in the bottom and explode up. Like really take three second negatives and um, really stretch the tissue at the bottom and then contract hard on the way up. I think you're going to get – if your teardrops are weak, I think that's a great way to make them come up big time. Wasn't that a Tom Platt's Mountain Dog type of – I think Tom had think Tom uh, John that. do that, I think. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah I've seen yeah. Tom Platt's yeah. do that before. I just realized something. Yep. I, I don't want to sidetrack us again after I said the left foot, right foot thing, but apparently I am. Uh, we talked this entire show about training so far, and that's what we're going to finish up talking about too. We talked about squat technique uh, pretty in depth. Not once did we talk about depth. Just throwing it out there. I'm not saying we have to. I just thought that was interesting. I think it, you know what it was? I think we all – kind of assumed between the three of us yeah. i think that's really what it came sure. down to i think that's that was it yep. I, I would love it. to comment on it though because i can make it short and sweet at least from my yeah have at it man have you want it you want to get as low as you can before you have any type of um pelvic tilt if you have pelvic yep. pelvic tilt then you're putting your lower back in a vulnerable position so you can even though you can physically go lower you shouldn't go lower you should increase the flexibility of your hamstrings to be able to squat lower without your hips turning underneath you or posterior is what's called posterior pelvic tilt otherwise yeah you want to squat i think as deep as you can i think that you're fine if you're at parallel and i've seen a lot of i'm going to be honest 
I've seen a lot of really good bodybuilders develop, and this is within the last five to seven years, develop, develop insane legs, not squatting to parallel and a lot of pros. And I mean, I see it almost, I'll see one person every couple of days on Instagram that is very well developed and not squatting to parallel. So I don't even, sometimes I wonder, I, th- I would like to think that it's the genetically gifted can get away with things like that. And you also have to understand what parallel means because once the legs get so big, sometimes <laughs> yeah. it can look like they're not as like, but you have to remember there's a bone in there somewhere that is yeah. six inches underneath all there's that. Visible line. And it might, yeah, it might be, yeah, it might not have to go to parallel because, you know, things like hamstring and hamstrings and glutes kind of get in the way they press against the calf and you can't get all the way down there like you can when you're skinny it was like that barbell girl example i was talking about earlier Um, but i do think that you should go as low as you can until you get to the point where it's called a butt wink um, pelvic posterior pelvic tilt and it may not injure you if you're young and made of rubber but if you keep doing it years and years and over time it's going to really wear on your lower back and and it, it it ends up nasty I just thought of it because I I was listening to Andrew talk. Uh, the question being, you know, any other variations you can do to kind of manipulate the movement to get development in different areas of the leg. And I thought to myself, like, oh, I think the number one thing is depth. I know Kane, the guy who wrote this, uh, he's local to me, uh, and uh, he's he's got great depth. He's got a really nice squat. I know his 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 depth is good. Uh, but since Skip had a chance, Andrew, do you want to uh, chime in on your thoughts about uh, depth? Do you, I mean, ask to grass all of that? I'm going to go back to your what you first said leading into this topic of um, it was all just assumed that yeah you're at least going to depth or and and I think all of us can agree when we're watching someone squat right off the bat we tell like yep that's depth or eh he's leaving a little bit you know that he could go a little bit deeper or maybe he's just right. going too heavy you know yeah I, I say he is if it's just talking about guys but um so i think we all know a good squat when we see it you know mm-hmm. um i i feel like you know i can watch my videos and and be like oh, okay you know it, that's not going to win a, a powerlifting competition wouldn't be legal in a powerlifting competition but i feel like that's 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 parallel for me in the sense and, and it's causing my legs to grow you know I'm, yeah. I'm feeling it two days later you know so yeah Skip, you got anything you want to add in on uh, variations and stuff with leg training? Man, I don't know. We covered we covered a lot. I mean, I'm glad that you did touch on depth because I did assume. I think we all just kind of assumed that that was that was a given. Um, yeah, I, I, there, I'll throw in one more thing, uh, and this ha- this relates to any type of lower back low vulnerability as well. I think it's difficult if you if you have any type of issue with your lower back, you need to use a little bit wider stance so that your your midsection can kind of come down in between your knees instead of using a narrow stance where you basically run the risk then of that 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 pelvic tilt happening sooner. So I think if you if you have a lower back issue or it's not too bad but you can still squat but you want to be safe with the movement you need to open up your stance but i'm not talking about sumo or anything but to go narrow on hack squats you know like real narrow stance or to try to squat with a narrow stance or even leg press for that matter and still go and get the depth that you want to get i think it's it's an increased vulnerability hmm. you got to be very careful with that because uh, those lower back issues i'm telling you man they'll just <laughs> they'll they'll bring things to a screeching halt yeah and not well, only to a screeching halt and they linger in your brain what's that Yes. 
I was going to say, once you've had one bad one, you're just kind of yeah. waiting until the next one happens. Like exactly. before you get ready for those really yeah. heavy sets, it crosses your mind. Like yeah. there, there, there's a very, there's a threshold that you pass that that's your pre injury. And then once you've had a bad one, you're living with that knowledge after that, every mm-hmm. time you go and do something heavy, whether it's a deadlift, a squat. And that's why eventually you get to a point where you're just like, you know what? It's not worth doing this exercise anymore because every time I try to do it, I run into this a little tweak in my back and yep. then I can't do this right. for two to three weeks and then it throws this off. So I think that's why as we get older, we kind of throw certain exercises out or we find ways to make them harder without utilizing more weight mm-hmm. to keep it in the arsenal. Exactly. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, and a lot of guys like, you know, you, you talk to them and like, you know, they're, they're just genetically lucky. They just, you know, if they're in their th- late thirties and they haven't had a major back injury yet and they're still squatting, they're very lucky, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, th- I literally think it's just the luck of the draw, you know, or maybe it's just yeah. it hasn't hit, caught up to them yet, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think too. Uh, it's just kind of speaking generally about you know when we were talking about like variations, uh, Kane's question that he had. I think it just kind of something that crossed my mind is for the vast majority of training. I think just keeping your feet in what what feels like the most like your standard stance. Is going to do the majority of the of the work yep. right there. Don't force your stance. Yeah, don't. It that's, should be I guess a natural stance. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm getting at, man. I think that yeah. altering and stuff. I mean, sure, you can do some little tweaks to it and stuff here and there. And like you said, Andrew, you bring the feet weight down, but go really much lighter. That's not your meat and potatoes, though. Like that's not no. you know the no. foundation. So it's like you know these things are, and I think Kane gets that too. That these things are in addition. But I guess I just wanted to kind of uh, make sure that I I said it too for maybe anybody who's listening to this or watching this that is uh, pretty new. Let me throw in one more thing, because there are gems all over the place. I'm sure that we can continue to throw in. But at the top of your squat, at the top of your leg press, at the top of your hack squat, no matter what the squat is you're doing, you should be able to hold a pencil long ways, lengthwise. Wait, what? Not this way. (laughs) You should be able to hold (laughs) I want to make sure no one misunderstands. You should be able to hold a pencil in the crack of your ass. Your glutes should be contracted at the top of any squat they, sh- they should be contracted and if they're not and you can't hold a pencil like you can't think like, would i be able to hold a pencil right now in the crack of my ass then you don't have enough glute activation you're not contracting your glutes hard enough at the top they're not doing enough work hmm. and that the, i think that's leg press that's any type of squat i mean there may be something uh, one type of squat that i can't think of off the top of my head that might somebody may say well wouldn't be for this well okay you fucking win but the large majority of you should be able to hold a pencil in the crack of your ass well and if your glutes aren't activated at the top that's why what's what's connected to the glutes your lower back so you're exactly up to more injury that way you know exactly to tie in your point right there so yep yeah listen if guys are listening to this you're listening on our new rss feed think big bodybuilding media uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, we appreciate having you along. And if you haven't hit that subscribe button yet, please do, because uh, we've got a bunch more shows coming out here. Um, I want to thank our sponsor, TrueNutrition.com. Uh, now that I'm getting back into training, I'm looking forward to getting back on my PeriMD and uh, everything else I use from them. They've got everything from sports supplements to you know, high quality multivitamins, uh, everything you can think of. Check them out. Use our code ADVICES. Check out Skip at TeamSkip.com. Andrew, Andrew, do you have a website or do you suggest people reach out to yeah. you? What's your What's your site? Uh, it, it, 
Instagram is fine. Bodyberry.com is my website. Um, or just email. My email's right on my Instagram. So, but yeah, thank you. Excellent. And you guys know how to reach me uh, here at the channel or uh, feel free to drop me an email, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. Guys, this is a, a really a, a nice pleasure. I've really enjoyed talking, sitting here and just talking training with you guys for a while, especially considering I haven't been able to train hard. I'm, I'm glad to be kind of thinking <laughs> about it again. And thank you guys for firing me up. I appreciate it. Nope, same here. I want to get back to leg training myself, so talking about it gets me all excited. A couple more weeks, I should be able to get back to work, so we'll see. Right on. Thanks, guys. And Thank everybody, you. Everybody at the live feed, we appreciate you. And FYI, Andrew had a delay, so uh, we appreciate you working with the delay, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. 